Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sCriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. You know where to listen to us. You know how to subscribe to us. If you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the air. Uh, let us know via our social media platforms. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to help support the podcast. And then our Public link is at IHateCritics.net. If you click on the TeePublic link, you can get some of our merch, or just go to TeePublic.com and search Critics Pod. It's a lot quicker than the first time I did this. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, I forgot to hit record, uh, so we had to start over. Uh, but all I did was the intro when I caught it, so we're good. Sean, uh, we went to Milwaukee to see Clerks 3 with Kevin Smith. How did that go? It was great. I mean, uh, we both went. Uh, you arranged this, which uh, I can't say enough good things about. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was awesome to get the chance to see you know Clerks Three with an audience for the first time. I've seen it four times, and this is the first time I've actually gotten to see it with an actual audience and uh, feeling those waves of emotion. Uh, Kevin Smith was actually talking about that before the show. How he sits backstage now instead of uh, behind the audience because he likes to feel the waves of energy coming forward from the audience. And indeed, that is a, a real feeling. You can definitely sense that when you're watching it, uh, those that those waves of laughter and emotion that come from that movie. It, it is such an incredibly emotional film and uh, all that uh, happens in it, uh, for those who haven't seen it, uh, I still want you to see it. So <laughs> I don't want to say anything yet, but uh uh, it, was, it was amazing, and, and Kevin Smith uh, afterwards doing the Q&A talked about uh, what Clerks 3 might have been, uh, which is not a story I'd heard before. Had you ever heard that story before? I did not hear it in that great of detail. It was way more than... I just knew it was more negative, and he was definitely pissed off when he wrote it. Uh, even saying that, you would never guess where, this, where he was going to go with it. Uh yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we got the movie we got. Uh, I'm sure he would have found a way to make that entertaining, but I don't think you get a top Clerks 3 in terms of what it was. You know, it definitely was more personal to him than even Clerks 2. I think he even mentions that on stage when we were doing the Q&A. Uh, you know, since he quit doing Clerks, or since he stopped being a clerk, his life has been in Hollywood. He, so he doesn't have that many experiences. And uh, a lot of times he was just making stuff up and doing a great job of it. But, uh, you know, you look at Chasing Amy where he definitely had stuff there that came from real life. Dogma came from real life. Uh, and even like Jersey Girl. But here it's, again, from real life. And he hasn't done that in a long time. And it was really cool to see it with an audience and with that audience i normally hate people screaming and cheering at the the screen but the reason i hate it's because the director is not there or the actors aren't there the director was here and yeah. it was magical i mean it was just you could feel the every emotion from the entire crowd we had pretty you know kind of in the middle seats uh and you could just feel the energy passing by us to get to the screen it was was a very cool experience it made me love the movie that much more and uh and then to just see how down to earth kevin smith actually is you know we stuck around for the meet and greet and he came by looked us in the eye you know made conversation with everybody mm -hmm. uh, and just i don't know it, it was really something else i love kevin smith that much more because of how cool this whole event was it's interesting. I'm, I'm a uh, genuinely when it comes to physicality, I'm a pretty awkward guy. But uh, the, the hug Kevin Smith gave me, it was just the most natural thing, and I've never experienced that <laughs> before. That was so that was so natural and so comfortable. It was what a what a great guy. Yeah, I've hugged three celebrities in my life, and they're all like my favorites of what they do. It was just kind of cool to, and he, he, I don't know, he just instantly took any level of uncomfortability because either one of us are that comfortable in these scenarios and he <laughs> he immediately just i don't know i don't know if he's sensitive if he did it for everybody but regardless uh he just clean cleared the air uh i don't smile well in photos and instantly he says something funny and 
I start busting out laughing and I can't control it. I'm trying to look serious and I can't help but laugh because it was just funny. Uh, I I don't know. I'm just really impressed with the whole thing and he he gives a great meet and greet. I highly recommend. Uh, it's not overly expensive. Uh, it's worth, if you have the extra money to do it, It's I definitely say it's worth it, especially if you're a Kevin Smith fan. It really was a fun night and I, it was, I don't know. I, I did not get tired on the way home. Uh, even when I dropped you off, I still had another hour, and I was still flying high, and that was a cool feel. I haven't, I haven't been able to stay awake like that, you know, till three in the morning in a long, long time. Thank God for daylight savings time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so much. It was so much fun, and he's just such a such a great guy. Uh, <laughs> just such a such an amazingly good guy, and uh, that's definitely an experience I would I would recommend anyone have is uh, seeing kevin smith live uh the, his q a is just incredible and his detail uh detailed answers to everybody is just incredible I, I i cringed a lot during the question and answer because people tend not to know just how to answer ask a simple question <laughs> well i get embarrassed for people and, yeah and again he does a great job of making them feel comfortable letting them get their point across even when they're rambling a little bit you know, he, mm-hmm. he gets them through it and it's, yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it's just way better than he could sit and heckle all of them if he really wanted to. And if he, I think he picks and chooses when the time is right, who he can tell who can handle it and who can't. But the whole thing is, I mean, what do we get? Five questions, maybe six. I mean, it wasn't a lot. Two hours worth of questions. <laughs> and we, yeah, the, the the uh that clerk's three description he gave, he gave it he took us through the entirety of what clerk's three would have been uh maybe ten years ago before his heart attack. And uh it was it was detailed and uh you it was like watching the movie. Right. It was I, I wanna say he must have been in the red state state of mind when he wrote this one or not that far away from red state. because uh, it was pretty dark some of the things that happen in it mm-hmm. uh, but, but uh, um, yeah lots of insights uh he's he's incredibly insightful and and uh and genuine genuine is the perfect word he knows he's aware of of his audience without being egotistical i mean he generally appreciates everything about his audience and he made clerks three for us i mean it there's fat on it that we all love <laughs> you know it's it doesn't take away from the movie i just i recommend being a kevin smith fan i just i can't say it enough and he liked your shirt <laughs> oh yeah i had everyone's a critic shirt on and he walked by and he just he just kind of gave it like <clears throat> kind of one of those laughs and then goes that's funny <laughs> and then he walked next <laughs> and then he walked to sean and talked to sean a little bit and then he kept moving on but it was it was really cool that, that was Definitely a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get on to the episode. As much as we could have, we could have just taken a recorder and talked all the way home. It would have been <laughs> more for us, though. I don't know if the audience would have cared. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's start with the episode, this week's episode with Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Yeah, Weird is a, a weird sort of. Uh, uh, biopic of Weird Al Yankovic. It's in the kind of in the vein of UHF, where the idea here is that everything's very broad and outsized and uh, quite funny. Daniel Radcliffe plays uh, Weird Al Yankovic, uh, going through the various uh, uh, inspirations for his uh, unusual songs, taking an unusual tact that uh, instead of these songs being parodies, they're all we- real Weird Al songs, and he's actually the one who created all of them. Uh, it's it's very funny in that way. Um, it, there's a lot of really great and funny scenes in this movie. Uh, there's a standout scene uh, at a pool party where Weird Al is challenged to create a parody song on the spot of a Queen song, and <laughs> that's where he comes up with another one. Rides the bus, uh, and it's very very funny. It's the in, kind of in the vein of a West Side Story showdown which I really loved. Uh, Jack Black has a great uh, cameo in that scene as Wolfman Jack, of all people. <laughs> Rain Wilson's in there as Dr. Demento. Uh, just so many amazing cameos and uh, some 
uh, aspects of Weird Al's life. Weird Al himself is in the movie as a as an executive who doesn't believe in what Weird Al does. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, it's it gets very weird. It gets very out there. It goes to very unusual places. Uh, Weird Al becomes uh, a a mercenary at one point who murders uh, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> <laughs> who is then replaced by Madonna as the world's biggest drug dealer. Uh, <laughs> that's Evan Rachel Wood in a very unusual performance. Uh, and uh, yeah, Weird Al, Weird Al Yankovic actually died in 1986 at the, at the Grammy Awards after he was named the greatest artist of all time, I, which is, again, an ending I didn't expect. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch it. I'm not an overall overly big Weird Al fan. Uh I, shouldn't, I, I don't mind the guy. I think he's entertaining whenever he's on. I just there's, there are people that I've I've had multiple people in my life say they they prefer the Weird Al songs to the originals, and I it's something I've never heard. And I've heard it several times, and it drives me nuts every time. Uh, and I it's just kind of turned me off. To, and I, but I love watching him like in interviews. And I think he's funny. Uh, he definitely cool. is self deprecating. Uh, whenever he, I don't know. I, it is on Roku. I didn't see it, but it, it's, if you have Roku, it's probably one of my favorite, one of my things that always bugs me about biopics is how they have to literally depict like how somebody, like we've got to literally depict how somebody picked their, you know, the famous hat that they wear everywhere. Some kind of dumb shit. Everything's got to have a fucking origin story. And this movie's got the most, the best send up of that where Al is just, he's playing, he's just making a bloaty sandwich. And that's how he comes up with my baloney. Even though, even though my Sharona is playing at the time, it's the baloney that that's the real inspiration. It's a, like everything has to have that visual, you know, uh, uh, reference to something that creates it. it it has to have an origin story and uh, it always annoys me when it comes to like true life stories and this is a, a really perfect send up of that idea that everything has to have some some inspiration in that way or an origin story of that sort that's awesome uh, anything else on Weird Al that you would talk uh, about? watch it it's, it's terrific Daniel Radcliffe is uh, fantastic uh, I think they missed out on uh, probably a pretty good box office run if they had put this in theaters. Yeah, that does shock me that they didn't try that because he is a pretty big name. But I don't know. The Banshee of Inishirin? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Banshees of Inishirin, uh, directed by Martin McDonough, the director of In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Abbey, Missouri. Uh, tells the story of uh, two friends in Ireland in the 1920s. Uh, they're uh, no longer friends. Uh, one day, Colin Farrell's character just shows up at his friend's house, uh, Brendan Gleeson, and Brendan Gleeson won't answer the door, won't leave. <laughs> uh, later on, Colin Farrell goes to the bar, and he's waiting for him, and he doesn't show. And then when he finally does show, he refuses to talk to him and says that uh, Brendan Gleeson basically says, we're not friends anymore. Uh, and Colin Farrell's just sort of shocked. He's just this sweet-natured, kind of dim-witted guy. He's a farmer. He doesn't have much of a, a life outside of the pub. Uh, he's just a guy who you know lives in the moment and enjoys whatever life brings him. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, on the other hand, uh, something has set him off in his life where he very much wants to have a legacy and look to the future and be remembered uh, for something. So he wants to finish writing a song, which actually comes to be called The Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, and, and he wants to have a lasting legacy in the arts. And it's really about these two conflicting mindsets uh, at the heart of the film that uh, separates these two friends and the kind of the, the willfulness of Brendan Gleeson's character versus the uh, lost soul quality of Colin Farrell's character. It's a wonderful dichotomy, and it really plays out extraordinarily well. Martin McDonough knows how to uh, develop a very unusual story of male friendship. This is not the kind of uh, narrative that we're used to. <laughs> it's a very unusual story. It's kind of all an almost uh, comic premise, if you will, of just a friend deciding he's no longer another guy's friend. And <laughs> it almost seems kind of childish in that, in a way, but it, it, uh, it has some very deep emotional roots to it. And as they, uh, as they go along, Colin Farrell, you you feel so much for Colin Farrell's character. He's just such an innocent. Like he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> There's nothing that he did other than 
he's a little bit boring. He doesn't have much of a life beyond his farming. So that's pretty much all he talks about. And you kind of understand why why Brendan Gleeson would go, I just I need this guy to go away. He's just talking about his goat all the time. I just don't have time to hear about goats. I've got a legacy to build. Uh, and so it, it, he's Brendan Gleeson's character is definitely a jerk in that way. But at the same time, you don't necessarily blame him. Because if you heard Colin Farrell's character talking about goat crap <laughs> for too long, you probably get annoyed too. Um, this is a really terrific movie. I, I do hope everyone will see it. I think Colin Farrell absolutely deserves an Oscar nomination. He makes you cry over a mini pony in the movie. Like he legitimately invests it with so much emotion that you kind of can't help yourself when something happens later on. And especially the way it happens is so shocking that uh, I don't want to go too much. I won't go into spoilers, but man, uh, the, the way Martin McDonough develops the story and develops uh, how Brendan Gleeson goes about trying to get this guy away from him is really something. Carrie uh, Car- uh, Connan is also in the movie as uh, Colin Farrell's sister. She's very loving and protective, but she's got her own life and she's thinking about leaving this island that they're on. And that's the thing. They're on an island off the coast of Ireland that is not very large. So there's like one pub and, and uh, there's really not a lot of other people around. So for you to decide that your one friend is no longer your friend anymore is a pretty big deal. It's the thing that pretty much everybody on the island is going to talk about. And it, it leaves sort of uh, it leaves a, a lasting mark on both men. That's awesome. I can't wait till this is available to stream. Uh, it sounds fantastic. It really is. It's such a, it, it is a comic, but also very dark at times. And it goes to places that you just don't expect. And, uh, you know, there's no typical beats, no romance at all. Just uh, this, these two guys in this conflict. Awesome. What about Armageddon time? Armageddon Time, it comes from director James Gray, and it stars uh, Anne Hathaway along with uh, a, a newcomer by the name of Banks Rapetta, who plays a, a young boy, a young version, essentially, of James Gray, uh, growing up in New York in 1980. He's attending public school, and he makes friends with a kid played by Jalen Webb, a black kid in his class who uh, is the constant, uh, uh, constantly undermined and attacked by everyone, whether it's federal students or by the even the teacher of their class who continuously blames this black kid for everything that happens. Uh, so uh, Banks Repetto's character becomes his friend and, and uh, you know, they, they develop a nice friendship until one day they get caught smoking weed in the bathroom and Banks Repetto's character gets pulled out of private school, pulled out of public school and put into a private school and has to determine whether or not he can remain friends with his uh, former friend from his old school uh, at the new school. He's in a, very different environment amongst very, very rich people, including uh, for reasons that the movie doesn't really have much of an explanation of the Trump children are there. Uh, The sons of Donald Trump are at this school and we see them saying horrible things about, uh, about black people and using the N word and really kind of drawing themselves out as uh, sort of villains in this story, even though they're not necessarily big characters. Uh, They, other big character in the movie is Anthony Hopkins as uh, the grandfather of Banks Repetta's character. He's very, cl- they're very close together. Uh, he's a uh, rather woke for a 1980 character <laughs> for a character set in the, set in the year 1980. But nevertheless, he tries to get Banks Repetta to, to remain friends with not lose his roots and uh, reminds him of the struggles that his family has been through as uh Anthony Hopkins character is a survivor of the Holocaust and uh, they are a Jewish family that came to America and changed their names and uh, kind of hit out uh, in public uh, who they are, but they still you know, celebrate Jewish traditions. Anne Hathaway is pretty terrific as the mother character. Jeremy Strong plays the father character and they, they both deliver really strong performances, but I'm just not sure what it is that James Gray is going for in the end. What is it that he's trying to say in the end, uh, uh, the the young man, uh, Jalen Webb, is a n- nice actor, but his performance is very functionary to this white character. Uh, and he doesn't really develop any dimension of his own. And that's really uh, a big problem. If you're going to have this character who is so essential to this plot, he should be more than just merely functional. 
And he seems to function as this almost magical character on hand to teach a lesson to this young white character. And that's really just a, a bad approach, in my opinion. And uh, this movie kind of left a bad taste in my mouth in, the, in that way. A lot of people really do like it. A lot of people have found something in it that uh, that they truly do appreciate. And I think James Gray is an amazing director. But I, I really, if he was looking to, I guess he's looking to kind of take a couple shots at Trump and they do land a little bit in terms of you know taking shots at the very, very rich and how completely out of touch they are. But it doesn't really have anything to do with the main story. They're just punches thrown uh, that maybe have something behind them but don't have anything again to add to the story of this, of these two young men, uh, Jalen Webb and Max Rapetta. Yeah, it sounds, I didn't watch it, but I, I talked with you exclusively extensively about it. Uh, that just sounds distracting. You know, when a movie does something like that, where it, you know, takes it just goes out of its way to take a shot at something. Uh, there's better ways to do it. And sometimes Hollywood gets a little, goes a little overboard with, their agenda and uh which actually sets any <laughs> any agenda back a little bit um, uh -huh. when they do that and it sounds like maybe this movie might have done that a little bit it's definitely uh, distracting is a good way to put it uh, jessica jessica chastain shows up in a cameo as uh, i'm not sure if she was meant to be donald trump's mother or his stepmother i assume stepmother she doesn't look very old here but maybe that's his mother i'm not sure but uh, she was a very powerful lawyer at the time, and she gives a very big speech about uh, how this group of uh, white kids at this private school, she doesn't say that, but it's very well implied who she's <laughs> talking about, are, are the future leaders of America and that they need to uh, step in and be leaders and prepare themselves to be leaders in the future. And it is, uh, you know, it's quite it's quite disturbing just how how much they talk about uh the privilege that they have and and uh, making use of that privilege to further themselves and further selfish aims as opposed to uh, actually doing anything to help others. That's simply, simply not something that they're preparing these children for at this particular school. Uh, and that message is certainly, I guess it runs parallel to the message of the other story, of the main story of the movie. But again, they don't really come together ever, at least not in my opinion, they don't come together very well see a great movie would have it in the background where mm -hmm. you kind of can see it happening but you're not it's not in your face and then it's up to you to kind of find it versus having parallel stories run that don't come together if it was just a background thing that was happening at the same time mm -hmm. even if you didn't hardly see it you could sometimes that energy will carry over into the movie and then that could be a pretty amazing thing but this just seems a little a little bit over the top with terms of him trying to get his message across yeah, it, it's unfortunate. There's nothing wrong with the way it's made. Like, it's a great-looking movie. Anthony Hopkins is tremendous in his performance, as is Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong. Uh, but, yeah, I just don't think the, the whole comes together in the end. Yeah. Revenge movie with Mel Gibson on the line. <laughs> on the line is... Uh, a movie set in the world of shock jock radio, which is, you know, something that everybody talks about these days. <laughs> it's a real topic that everybody is still top of mind about. Uh, apparently, this movie was written back in the 90s and this now set today, even though, again, this is pretty much irrelevant. Uh, Mel Gibson plays a late night radio host in Los Angeles who arrives to work and he's taking calls and he's shocking everybody with his shock and he's shocking everybody with his four letter words that you can't say on the radio still, even though you're kind of allowed to say those things now uh, <laughs> most radio people don't do that and uh, wouldn't do that with for fear of losing their job but nevertheless nevertheless he's a shock jock uh, he gets a call from a guy who uh, uh, tells him basically that uh, hey I've taken your wife and son hostage and uh, I'm gonna need you to kill yourself or I'm going to kill them uh, he leads to a scene where he gets Mel Gibson's character up to the roof and is having him uh, essentially jump from the top Gibson fakes him out, but he gets caught, and uh, we end up finding that the the call is coming from inside the radio station. Oh, there's these obvious, like, lame, red-herring characters. Mel Gibson is just completely, he's, he's fine. He's doing his Mel Gibson thing. He's very intense. Uh, there's a scene in this movie, though, that is just like, if you're Mel Gibson, why do you put this scene in a movie when you already know how much people feel about you and how much, you know, 
your your reputation is. Why he puts a scene in the movie where he arrives at work and he walks up to a security guard uh, who happens to be uh, Indian and he has a lengthy name and it's a name that uh, is not easy to pronounce. And so Gibson just dismissively goes, yeah, I'm just going to call you Bob. Uh, and it's like, what, people already assume you're a racist. Why do you have to just lean into the racism even further? Like, it, it, that's just, it's just this big middle finger to the audience. But that's just pretty much in Mel Gibson's entire career now. It's just a big middle finger to the audience. This movie's terrible. You can't be surprised by that. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those where, I don't, we've talked about it at length. Uh, people that you some I don't know I just it's the nostalgia makes it hard for me to hate the guy no matter how bad it sh- no much how much I should definitely disappointed but it's hard hard no, hard for me to see him doing shit like this like he has been for all several years now mm-hmm. uh, but what's not hard for me is this movie Tar. Tar stars Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tar, a superstar in the world of classical music. We meet her as she's being interviewed by the New Yorker on stage in front of an, an adoring audience, uh, talking about her soon-to-be triumph as she's about to conduct Mahler's Fifth Symphony, uh, which would make her one of the few people who have ever recorded all of Mahler's work. Uh, from there, we pro- we progress through her life as. Uh, She's preparing for this big performance. She's also uh, got some things bubbling up in the background, uh, specifically a conflict with a former um, mentee, somebody she was a mentor to, uh, whom is asking why Tar has cut her out of her life. Uh, There's a lot to that. Uh, There's also something that bubbles up early on where she's uh, returned to uh, cover a class at uh, a famed uh, music school, and she has a confrontation with uh, a Gen Z guy who, or Gen Z person, who uh, and essentially doesn't show enough respect in her mind for the for the classic creators, and they have a conflict that uh, gets caught on video. That'll come back and play a play in later. Uh, meanwhile, there's also a new member of her uh, of the Berlin Philharmonic, her where she's the uh, conductor. Uh, this new bass player who she develops a relationship to and seems to want to have a relationship with where that goes is very unexpected and very interesting and very revealing about this character. And that's uh, part of what Todd Field does so brilliantly is slowly unfolding and unpacking this character and allowing Kate Blanchett the room to unpack this character without ever making any obvious statements about her. She, uh, there's no there are no big info dumps. There's no big dialogue scenes where you just unpack every problem that she has and why she is a problematic person. Uh, it's all just very deftly layered in in various different ways. And just, I, I really adore uh, that approach to to this film is uh, just slowly revealing this character. Um, and where it goes from there is uh, just a lot of very unexpected stuff. I love the ending of this movie. And one of the things that this, the ending of this movie leaves you with is the idea of where you think uh, Lydia Tarr goes from where she ends up. Uh, do you feel that uh, that this uh, person is going to continue to be problematic or do you feel like they are chastened by what happened to them and uh, have to learn a lesson but still love what they do? Uh, it's, it's open-ended in a way that uh, didn't bother me. And I, I really loved that. But I really loved everything about this movie. I think I think uh, Kate Blanchett uh, cuts an incredibly compelling character. This is uh, one of the best, if not the best, performance of her career. And that's saying a lot because she's won two Oscars uh, for for uh, Blue Jasmine and for uh, Elizabeth. And she's just she's just awesome. She's just awesome in everything she does, and she's awesome here. Oh yeah, I agree with you on that. I I think like sometimes. She has a little Daniel Lewis in her, and I, it kind of turns me off. Uh, but here was, like, perfect. It was, like, the perfect... It wasn't over the top in a, in a distracting way. And there's been times when she's been over the, been over the top and won Oscars, so that's just not my cup of tea. But here, it's perfect. And, and Todd Field, after... I'd never seen one of his movies as far as I know until this week. And that guy writes writes or directs problematic people better than anybody else. Uh, it's, it's, 
he does such a good job of making them people and not just a terrible person. It's, you know, I, you know, speaking of Dan Lee Lewis, I think, uh, uh, who's that director? I half hate, half love Magnolia and all those. Oh, uh, P.T. Anderson. Anderson. He did one where was, was it some fashion industry one where Dan Lee Lewis, which the guy was, just, yeah, yeah. He, he was just a hateful, horrible person and it wasn't written well. I don't know. It just bugged me. It wasn't fun to watch. It was just nothing to it. This is interesting, uh, w- way more interesting the way he unpacks this and what happens to her and how she handles it is just, I mean, this is a two hour and 40 minute movie and the whole time I'm just, it flies by and I'm just watching it come together and, you know, you see the humanity in a problematic person and I, I know that can turn people off, but the way Todd Field does it, I don't think is a turnoff. I think it's really effective and I really, I really, really like this movie a lot. It is, I mean, it is, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it because it's been a fantastic year. Uh-huh. Uh, but it is it, it is a phenomenal movie with a fantastic ending. Indeed, yeah, the the ending is is uh, something special, and, and that's the thing is that the his his approach to being non judgmental is is very important here because it's up to you to decide how you feel about it, just as it would be up to you to decide how you feel about any supposedly canceled person or whatever. Uh, terminology you want to use it's entirely up to you how you feel about that should there be a path to redemption for someone should there be a way for them to return to what they do after they've done something uh perhaps objectionable but how objectionable was what they did and what is the level of it's not like she committed a crime it's she but she did do awful things Uh, there's also a little bit of unfairness so it's very fair uh, to the character and to the story, but it doesn't come down on either side. It is entirely on you to decide how you feel about this. And that is a, a tightrope walk that not many directors can pull off. Uh, most of the time, you'd be very, I think I'd be very upset with a director who refuses to uh, make a decision uh, in the end. But I, I was fascinated by the choices that Todd Field made here. On top of which, he, he has this tricky thing where he's put a, uh, a a lesbian character, a female character in this situation, as opposed to what we would assume someone would put in this situation, which would be a male character. And that, that actually serves the purpose of removing the immediate judgment that you might have of, of the guilt or innocence. If this were a male character, I think everyone would go immediately. This person is even not merely problematic. They're a problem. They're like a borderline criminal. They get, they get compared to every other you know, a guy who's ever been accused of something bad, and it and it immediately sets you on a path towards making up your mind ahead of time. Making this a uh, not just a female character, but a lesbian character uh, is definitely a dicey situation. It puts you in another situation where you're you're kind of wondering if you're uh, demonizing, uh, sort of creating a female predator, a uh, female lesbian predator, which of course is a a trope from the '80s that is really awful, but. Uh, uh, he sidesteps that so brilliantly and all the minefield that you might think is in this, he manages to get around by telling a very good, very fair story. Yeah. And you know, I'll, like Wolf of wall street is a movie. I did not like, you know, everything was executed fine, hated the character and couldn't get into the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. This, all, all the negativity with her, like again, he's not making excuses for, her. he's just showing you how the decisions come about. Uh-huh. And it's very realistic, and you know, not that I want to watch every canceled person's life story, but it does put some of that stuff in perspective. Uh, that not all people, n- nobody is one hundred percent bad or one hundred percent good. It doesn't mean I don't like people, you know. But there's everybody can has a little bit of both. Uh, sometimes you make decisions that are unforgivable, you know. But here, you know, there's definitely, it's almost, you know, almost like addiction level things that go on in their life. And again, not that they're making excuses for, it's just, it's played out in a very, very realistic, very human way. And I just found the whole thing fascinating. Well, and considering the times, it's, you know, this movie feels even more important because of the the questions it's asking, because again, the types of people we're talking about here, whether 
uh, whether you didn't want to talk about James Franco or even Mel Gibson, who we just talked about, or you know, Matt Lauer, these people are still alive. We still have to confront them in some ways. They still, uh, even as much as they, some of them have receded into the background, like Matt Lauer specifically, uh, is is fascinating. And But they're still there, and we still have to kind of, as a culture, decide how we feel about it. And they have to figure out their own path forward, obviously, Mel Gibson has found a perfectly fine path forward for himself. Uh, Louis C.K. is still very much working and even, according to the Grammys, still somehow relevant. Uh, it's a, But it's, again, how do we deal with those things? And asking that question of what, what does someone do in this situation? What is the path forward? Uh, and the, this this ending is just so smart in how it leaves you with that question and, and thrusts that question upon you. Um, uh, in a way that uh, is gentle, it's prodding, it's slightly comic, a little bit dark, uh, just absolutely goddamn brilliant. It's almost like Bill Gibson's real life story in the way that <laughs> with the movies he's making now might as well be the same type of ending that he <laughs> That's a good had. Point. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to say everybody should go see it, but I, I think if you're a fan of movies and and especially acting uh this is a must see this is and i highly recommend adding todd field into your film <laughs> vocabulary because i it, it was a fun week for me when it came to fun's not the right word uh, <laughs> these are not fun movies but I, it was, just, it was a, a cool discovery yeah uh, i mean i i'd heard of our classic before i just never watched it and uh, just all around impressed with Todd Field and uh, definitely will be checking out his work going forward and probably going backwards as well. Anything else on Tar before we move on to the classic? Uh, not really. I think I think if you're somebody who wants to have a have a, an important conversation about uh, modern culture and uh, this is the most arguably the most relevant movie to uh, that uh, that whole cancel culture conversation. Uh, it, it is incredibly relevant and important in, in that way, and it absolutely deserves to be seen on top of just being an extraordinarily well-accomplished film. 100%. A classic is Little Children, again, by Todd Field. Little Children stars uh, Kate Winslet as a dissatisfied mom in the, in the suburbs. Patrick Wilson is a dissatisfied husband in the suburbs, and they come together and develop a sort of romance that is a, an affair. Uh, they've each got uh, other partners, uh, husbands and wives, but uh, they're drawn together by kind of just circumstances and also just this desire to do something other than what they do every day. Uh, the kind of suburban boredom that we've seen uh, in movies in the past, but not, not as well uh, examined as it is here. Uh, the, there's this, one of the things that this movie does so well is this remarkably witty, smart, ingenious voiceover, which gives the film uh, the feel of, uh, of a novel in some ways. The, the narrator, this omniscient narrator who knows everything, is judging these people, but also uh, just explaining them in just such a very unique way and taking you inside their mindset. And I'm usually not a big fan of voiceover, but this is one of the best voiceovers in a movie that I've ever seen. Uh, the The characters that he draws here are so unique and fascinating. And the, they, of course, are, are uh, fed upon by these uh, supporting players where there's Noah Emmerich and there's uh, Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley plays a guy who's kind of the the plot roadblock he kind of you you keep running into him throughout uh, and and his his story plays out in a fashion that is entirely unexpected and incredibly original he's a man who is a sex offender who moves into this neighborhood everybody knows he's there everybody's fully aware of who he is and what he's accused to have done and uh Noah Emmerich plays a guy who makes sure everybody knows about that. He sets about trying to really expose and destroy this guy's life. And where that goes to between those two characters and that, and that subplot is absolutely extraordinary. And one of the most uh, thoughtful and unique uh, subplots I've seen in a movie in the last 20 years, uh, and especially the way that Noah Emmerich plays it out is he's one of the, MVPs of the uh, character actors. Uh, he was just in the Good Nurse, 
and he's so amazing in that film. And uh, here he's just so desperate and sweaty and uh, unnerving. Uh, he's he's the guy who is very pushy. And he's got a lot of problems, uh, but a good heart in many ways. And that No Emmerich pulls all that together is so brilliant. Then you've got Patrick Wilson who. His uh, his type of himbo, himbo vacancy always is very interesting to me. The way a director uses that sort of vacant behind the eyes quality that he has, uh, <laughs> uh, Todd Field I think uses it better than any other director has ever used it. He is this uh, figure of fantasy, this uh, but also this very much of a man child, very uh, ill formed human being who uh, clinging to ideas of his youth of being a high school sex god of being a guy who wanted to ride uh wants to be uh, accepted by kids who are riding skateboards he's also playing football again uh where he can be the big man on campus again he's got this woman Kate Blanchett who worships him like a like a god and uh, just desperate to be with him and it all feeds into his ego which seems to be his main sort of uh, just main sort of characteristic that he has. Um, here's a guy who has Jennifer Connelly at home and he's sleeping with Kate Winslet. Like, that is a, that is a difficult thing to parse, but uh, Todd Field does an amazing job of it, of uh, explaining how that uh, comes about. Uh, Kate Winslet has just never been more amazing in, in any movie. This is my favorite Kate Winslet performance. She's so sad and so desperate for anything in her life that isn't, her day-to-day life with her husband. Uh, she's still, she's one of those rare characters who's allowed to be sort of ambivalent about her very young child. Uh, and yet uh, coming around on that story and understanding who she is as both a, a woman and a mother is a, is a terrific journey that Kate Winslet takes us on without ever having to comment on it. There's like the, the, the voiceover that I mentioned earlier is so wonderful because it allows for the movie to not suffer through all these, again, info dumps that, so many other movies do uh, nobody does any unpacking uh, like big long dialogue things explaining who they are <laughs> and that's what the narrator does and once and he does it so deftly that you're not left uh, uh experiencing the movie uh through info dumps yeah i just it it is such a unique movie it's almost like the wonder years with problematic characters uh <laughs> I mean, but you know, I don't. I'll get the actress name wrong that you mentioned. Between the the child pedophile and the one trying to the character actor, no Emmerich, no Emmerich. Uh, you know, two horribly problematic characters that are just written so well. Again, and it, it's. I mean, all of all the characters in the movie are problematic in their own ways at different levels of it. And again, just fascinating, you know, great acting from everybody. I mean, it's probably my favorite Patrick Wilson performance. Not that that matters for anything because <laughs> uh, Kate Winslet's always great. Uh, Jennifer Connelly is fantastic in it too. And a, it's important in the role she's in. She's, a, you know, an A-list name and kind of a smaller role that really matters. And maybe she wasn't an A-list at the time. I think she might have been though. I think so. Definitely a pretty big actress when this came out. Uh, just all around. Uh, again, another two hour and 40 minute movie or something like that. Maybe 2.30. Uh, and it's just interesting. Uh, just well done. Uh, I don't know. It, it makes your head go in places that it doesn't naturally go. You know? Yeah. And that's what I, I just, I'm really impressed with Todd Fields as a director. And, uh, I'm just I'm happy to have had this experience uh, w- with these two movies this week. I'm happy for you that you still have in the bedroom to go with uh, Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson. Uh, I think you're, that's that's awesome that you still have that one. That was his first one, and uh, it's the equal to to both of these as well. Yeah, I uh, just absolutely again not must sees for everybody because it's most people don't have the patience for it or even the interest, but you love movies and performance and just well-written characters uh i don't know i just i 
and again, it's a recency bias. I don't know anybody who writes a problematic character, a realistic problematic character, or directs them as well as Todd Fields does. I mean, it really is something that I haven't really seen. You know, obviously, if you're Travis Bickles and whatever, but that's different. This is like real life, and I don't know, just impressive all around. The wealth of empathy, empathy he has for extraordinarily flawed people is is pretty uh, pretty pretty special. Uh, it's uh, in a in a world of black and white. Todd Todd Field embraces all of the gray and forces you to confront it. He forces you to confront Jack Earl Haley's character, who is a sex offender, as a person, and you have to you have to see his life as it is and the the. the the compulsions that he lives with and his mental illness, his uh, day-to-day life with his very protective, very loving mother. Um, you're forced to be in his uh, space and, and deal with him. Whereas, you know, in, in regular life, we all kind of push those people aside and try, you know, out of sight, out of mind, try not to think about it, that they have daily lives, that they still have to go to work, that they still have to, you know, try and find a place in the world, even as they have this compulsion, uh, this evil compulsion that they have they've and he's not he's a character who is not apologetic but he's also incredibly damaged and uh, broken uh mentally uh and the way that Noah Emmerich's character sort of takes all of his problems and focuses them on this sort of superhero idea of himself to protecting the community from this guy who may or may not be an actual problem uh it 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 puts a focus on both of them that is that is so unique and fascinating and, and caring. He, he cares about these characters. He invests in these characters. And he forces you to confront these characters that you don't want to confront. Man, this movie does right. Everything Crash did wrong. You know, mm. <laughs> this is an ensemble movie with multiple storylines going on that intertwine and just impressive is the only word I can think of. It, it really is just great. And the title, too, is is spectacular. It's a literal title, obviously, because there's little children in the movie, but it's also because everybody in the movie is a child seemingly satisfying their their very base needs. <laughs> and that's every character in the movie is going for the very basic thing. And it's a that, that reminder that uh, so few movies are capable of, that they're really, as much as there are adults in the world, they're there really is nobody who knows anything. Right. And that's the, that's the part of growing up that, uh, that you have to slowly realize is that no one knows anything as much as there are people who might be in charge of things. Uh, the people who are in charge of things are the same people you grew up with and went to grade school with who picked their nose and <laughs> wiped it on their shirt. And now those people have to be in charge of businesses and have their own children and they still don't know anything. It's a hundred percent true. You know, you grow up and your parents are always like someday you'll understand. And what you end up, you learn and you understand is that we're all idiots, including your parents. <laughs> uh, they're not on the pedestal. We put them on. It's, uh, I don't know. Just everybody just lives for those little moments where they can please themselves, you know, and that's what the, the characters of Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson are doing. You're just, you know, they're satisfying their their basis desire. They want to. They want sex, and they're going to have sex, and they're going to figure out ways to continue to have sex because it's fun, uh, and it's better than anything else they could be doing. Uh, and it's and they feel like again, they feel like kids again. They're they're you know middle aged people who get to feel like children again. That's everything that Patrick Wilson's character does is about feeling young again. It's uh, you know, he doesn't want to become a lawyer, so he keeps avoiding taking his bar exam because that means doing a grown-up thing and he doesn't want to do that he wants to play football and ride skateboards and have sex with a <laughs> with some girl that he, that uh, is that worships him uh and she just wants to escape from being a mom and having the responsibilities of being a mom and uh, they just provide such a perfect port in a storm to each other uh which is perfect because they have sex for the first time in a storm <laughs> that scene where she walks in on her husband on the internet Ooh. Oh, what a scene. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that scene and not be in the Adam Sandler movie is (laughs) beyond me. Uh, But he did it. I mean, it was 
It was real. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't funny. It's funny now that yeah. we're talking about it, but in the moment, yeah, it's funny then. in context, it's not funny. Uh, no, just, they, he really gets to the creepy, uh, the creepy side of it. <laughs> Even though it's not necessarily, I mean, it's not necessarily creepy. I mean, everybody satisfies themselves in their own way, but it is creepy at the same time when you have well, to look at it. Right. I mean, nobody gets, nobody really gets to be watched when they do stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's a interesting thing as an actor. I mean, I'm sure it was written on the page. It wasn't something mm-hmm. you decided, well, this is what I do. <laughs> you know, it is. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, yeah, that's that capturing that of the moment feeling of like, what do you do in this situation? You know, the, the, uh, her husband character is trying to, satisfy himself watching pornography on the internet and his wife walks in and what does she do and it feels so immediate and so of the moment uh, kate what kate winslet how she reacts you know or she already has you know a, a relatively low opinion of her husband and now here he is with panties on his head <laughs> jerking it and she just like yeah this is this is not what i signed up for <laughs> but at the same time yeah it's just i don't know it's just a very real moment yeah. Uh, the whole movie is, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. That is all of our movies this week outside of the movies from 92. Did you watch Passenger 57 or Jennifer 8? I have a, a strong feeling about both those films. Uh, Jennifer 8 is one of the grossest, most disgusting movies ever made and uh, deeply, desperately problematic and and wrong on uh, which uh, Uma Thurman is a, a blind woman who is menaced by a serial killer. And it's extraordinarily gross and exploitative and mean spirited and just really, really awful and uh, an embarrassment to, to everybody who was involved with it. Passenger 57 on the other hand is a, a wonderful guilty pleasure of a movie. Uh, I mean, when you get to that moment where Wesley Snipes says always bet on black, boom, done. I'm in. <laughs> I love this movie. And white kids have been saying that forever since <laughs> since that movie. Uh, it's, it's so perfect. It it is the, it's cheesy as hell, but it is so enjoyable. It's cheesy in all the right ways. Yeah. Uh before we get to Flick Chart, let's go what we got next week. We got Wakanda Forever, Paradise City, Ebola Homes 2. Enola Holmes Ebola? That's what it says on his Facebook. <laughs> it's Enola Holmes too. Okay, I just my notes said Ebola, my fault. <laughs> uh, Falling for Christmas are coming out next week. Right. Nice and the classic is Casablanca. Perfect. 1992 Dracula and Love Potion number nine came out as well. Uh, approached uh, both uh, cousin Jeff and uh, uh, Zach Cove to be a part of the show next week. So we'll see. Yes, I will not be there. I will be elsewhere, but I'm looking forward to listening to that one as a listener versus a co-host. That'll be fun. I always enjoy those. All right. Let's head over to flick chart and let's see here. I could pull up our best here just to see if you wrote a bowl of homes and <laughs> I'm not that petty. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, White Chicks, The Anvil Horror with Ryan Reynolds. White Chicks is scarier, but uh, I'll take Amityville Horror, I guess. Just, I think it's shorter. I just like Ryan Reynolds. Even when he's bad, I could take that for... I. There's some movies I don't want to... Anyway, forget it. I'll go to... Uh, wow, that sucked. Winnie the Pooh, Crocodile... I'm not sure... I know that one. Yeah, I don't know Neither do that I. one. Their yeah. first mistake, uh, Crocodile Dundee. You don't know Laurel Hardy? I haven't seen that one. 101 Dalmatians, the live-action uh, kids movie in Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee, I guess. I'm, I'm not a fan of either one. I'm, I'm not a passionate hatred or liking of either one of those. 16 Blocks, analyze this. 16 blocks. I I just don't, I don't care for analyze this. And it was tails. Analyze this. Uh, What hot American summer it follows. 
wet, hot American summer for me. I agree with you. It follows as kind of a disappointment, mainly because of the buzz was so high for it. Uh-huh. The nice guys are Ghost World. That is tough, man. Those are two really great movies. Um, I'm going to go nice guys. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I feel like it's like my straight white male choice. <laughs> uh, I think Ghost World's probably a better movie, but I could watch Nice Guys all day, every day. Away We Go, Spider-Man 3. Away We Go. I love Away We Go. I wish more people had, had seen that one. What is it? It's a... Uh, it's Zach. It's a uh, uh, John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph play a married couple uh, going on the road trying to find, trying to get some advice about becoming parents for the first time. Really, really smart. Really funny. Really romantic. Really unique. Awesome. Crazy about her. Never heard of it. Seen that one. Twenty twenty one. The Amazing Colossal Man. Can't say I've heard of that one either. It Man. The Day of the Earth stood still. I. The Day of the Earth Stood Still for me. Love The Day of the Earth Stood Still. Nebraska Machete. Nebraska by a lot for me. Nebraska is awesome. Safety Not Guaranteed or Eastern Promises. Wow, this is hard. That is so hard. I just wrote about Eastern Promises uh, for its uh, Blu-ray release not all that long ago, and I, it just it got even better for me. But that said... Uh, I, I think I love safety get not guaranteed even more just because of how, how unique and strange and wonderful it is. And it's got Aubrey Plaza. I'll never forget that, that viewing experience. And, and I love Eastern promises a lot, uh, but I've seen it multiple times and I don't necessarily remember where I was when I saw it. I'll never forget, <laughs> you know, safety, not guaranteed. That was just for that alone. I'm going to take that, but I love Eastern promises. Prometheus or 1408? This is very easy. It's 1408, which is a movie apparently I really loved back in 2007. <laughs> I liked it. Prometheus. It's on the blog. The, the reviews on my blog, uh, Sean at the movies, uh, dot blogspot.com. And yeah, when I, I didn't remember that I liked it so much, but when I read the review, I'm like reminding myself, oh man, I really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Frankenstein, 1931. If it were Bride of Frankenstein, I'd probably go with, with Bride of Frankenstein, but uh, I'm going to go with Mr. Smith over the original Frankenstein. I can go there with you. Venom, L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential. Agreed. The Matrix Resurrections, We Were Soldiers. Matrix Resurrections. I feel like We Were Soldiers was just kind of kind of dull, honestly. Yeah, I just I hate the Matrix movies and I did see that one. I couldn't hear you. Oh, sorry, I was mumbling to myself. I just hate the Matrix movies and I did see <laughs> that one. <laughs> but you win. The Matrix Resurrections. Big Trouble Little China, D2, The Mighty Ducks. Big Trouble in Little China. Absolutely. Men, Psycho. Give me a break. Come on. <laughs> ah, I'm going to go with men. I am. I know it's like kind of a more, I've seen it more recently, but I think I, I really think in, in 50 years, people are going to be talking about men. I'm going to go psycho. I like men a lot. There is just part of me. It feels like a woman should have told the story. That's the only thing that holds me back on men is all. But, mm-hmm. but men wins with the coin flip. It is phenomenal. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from that movie. It is awesome. Uh, Empire records. Death becomes her. Empire records. Yeah. We're at that age. <laughs> Maverick, Bridget Jones Diary. Bridget Jones Diary. Yeah, I'll go against Mel on that one. <laughs> District 9, The Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears. Yeah. They heard us talking about Jackie Earl Haley. 
I got to quit mumbling. Sorry. Bride and Chucky, Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation. Are you sure? <laughs> Just Cause, The Great Outdoors. Just Cause. I find Great Outdoors to be obnoxious. I know a lot of people love it, but I'm not one of them. I kind of like Just Cause, if I remember. I haven't watched it since 95, <laughs> but I remember enjoying it then. Uh, and uh, Great Outdoors is like Weird Al for me. It's like everybody loves it, and it it's like, really? We're going to watch that again? I don't dislike it. I just don't love it. Like I said, I find it obnoxious. Game Night, Mary Poppins. It's Game Night. Game Night's awesome. That movie's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's way better than it deserves to be. <laughs> Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Speed Racer. I love Rise of Skywalker, but it's Speed Racer for me. Speed Racer is uh, desperately underrated. I haven't seen it, so I'll go with you. 1917, Moonraker. 1917. Yep. Knowing my super (laughs) ex-girlfriend. They're both awful. Um, But knowing doesn't have Anna Faris being abused behind the scenes, so I'm going to go with that one. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I just, you told me that the other day. Yeah, I will go with you there. Friday the 13th, the final chapter is Sin City. Sin City. Frankenstein, 1931. King Kong, 76. Frankenstein. Yeah. Flight 93, the Santa Claus 2. Was the Santa Claus 2 the one I really Oh, yeah, you liked one of those, didn't you? I did. I think uh, I liked one of them. I, can't, I think it was. Yeah, it's the Santa Claus 2. I'm going to go with that one. I'd rather watch it. Yeah. Uh, Bringing Up Baby, The Phantom of the Opera, 2004. Bringing Up Baby by a lot. Lady Bird, Real Steel. Lady Bird. Fine. <laughs> I love Lady Bird. Parasite, Shazam. Parasite. Hundred percent Paranorman. Fuck that. Paranorman, the one. Paranorman. Greed. E two Mama Tambien, Marley and Me. I I like Marley and Me a lot, but it's it's E two Mama Tambien. That's a better movie. It's a masterpiece. Star Trek Insurrection, bringing up baby. Bringing up baby. The Amityville Horror, nineteen seventy nine. Enter the dragon. Enter the dragon. Yes. Under Siege, Night of the Living Dead, 1970. Night of the Living Dead. 100%. King Creole, The Lost Boys. King Creole, absolutely. I love King Creole. I hate Elvis so much. (laughs) But you win. Justin Bieber of his time. Friday the 13th, Part 2, Ghost Rider. Friday the 13th, Part 2. Agreed. Angels with Dirty Faces, The Wolverine. I've not seen Angels with Dirty Faces. I've only seen the clip from uh, Home Alone. Oh, yeah, that's that movie. Contagion, The Wolverine. Contagion. Spectre, Hook. Hook. (laughs) Josh. How how angry. Josh is yelling at his computer his phone uh, how dare you have you heard of castle freak or pick me up i've not seen either one i need i want to see castle freak i've heard weird things about that movie i've never even heard of it day of the dead double indemnity double indemnity easily in the line of fire whose life is it anyway i've not seen whose life is it anyway in the line of fire, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. In the line of fire, yeah, it's just it's shorter. Which which problematic director do you <laughs> go with? <laughs> Dave Frankenstein. What the fuck, Frankenstein? I know that's weird. Frankenstein. The outlaw Josie Wales, a time to kill. 
I reference a time to kill a lot in my mind. <laughs> I haven't seen um, it since 96 or I haven't watched it really since it came out. And I don't know when I saw a lot of Josie Wales, I wanted a different movie than I got. Uh-huh. So I'm leaning a time to kill. However, that doesn't mean it's good. I just haven't seen it in a very long time. Yeah. A time to kill. Once upon a time in Hollywood, the Virgin Suicides. Once upon a time in Hollywood, but they're both brilliant films. Yes, you, me, and Dupree, City of Ember. They're both insanely mediocre. Um, City of Ember. Rumble in the Bronx, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2014 Osmosis Jones. I'd rather punch myself in the face. <laughs> 